Good morning, United Church. My name is Justin, and I bring greetings from your siblings in Christ here in Washington, D.C., the other Washington, where I pastor at Christ City Church. It's a privilege to be with you today, and thanks so much to Aaron for the gracious invitation to be one of your guest speakers during this series. I wanted to start by sharing just a little about me so you can know a bit more about where I'm coming from. All of us bring all of who we are to God and to Scripture and to faith, and so it may be helpful for you to know what's going on behind the scenes of what I'm saying. I was born and raised on the other side of the world in a beautiful and chaotic city called Hong Kong, which also finds itself in the news of late. I'm one of three brothers. I'm the youngest of three brothers, all of whom are pastors, one in Australia and the other in Southern California, and then our parents are still in Hong Kong. I grew up going to a Baptist church, and unsurprisingly, as it's sort of a rite of passage in Baptist churches, I was baptized as a teenager. And then just before I turned 16, I moved to the United Kingdom to finish high school, and then I ended up staying for university, I completed degrees in, in law, and then music and worship. And during that time in England, I both fell away from my faith as the structures that had held it up, parents and youth group, for example, they were no longer there. And then I also came back to faith in college at a charismatic church where I was introduced, I think, for the first time in a real way to the person of the Holy Spirit, to the tangible, active presence of God. It was then and there that I began to own my faith for myself as, as something I valued as real and right, not just something I inherited from my parents. From there, God took me to California, where I attended Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. My three years there were some of the richest and fullest and deepest and hardest years of my life as I began unpacking and experiencing what it means when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. It was during those years that I began to explore my identity as an Asian American that I began to be drawn into the world of politics because as my friend Eugene Cho puts it, politics impact policies which impact people. And if Jesus is Lord of everything, then there is nothing to which the gospel does not have something to say. And just over 10 years ago, that passion brought me to D.C. to pursue a calling to politics and political advocacy. I worked at, at one anti-poverty organization. I interned at another social justice advocacy group. And ultimately, to make a long story short, God directed me into pastoring, which is what I've been doing the last decade, letting the Spirit work in me and through me and around me as I try to integrate a call to love God and to make disciples who are increasingly looking like Jesus, with a call to love our neighbors by whatever means are at our disposal, including for us in the United States our civic responsibilities to one another and the power of our collective voices. That's my passion and my heart, to see discipleship and spiritual formation take root and bear the fruit of the transformation of God's justice and righteousness at every level of our existence, from the depths of our own souls, to our families and friendships, our neighborhoods and communities, our cities and world, and all of the systems and structures therein. That heart and that calling come out of an encounter that Jesus has, which is recorded in several of the Gospels. I'm going to read it from the account in Mark. Mark 12, beginning at verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, 
Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Love God with everything you have and everything you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The great commandments, as they're sometimes called. That's the intersection where I try to sit. And what I want to share today is something that has helped me over the last few months try to stay in that intersection. As we've been navigating this strange and stretching existence, learning how to love God in, in new ways maybe, and learning how to love one another by not doing things, like, like going out, or, or by doing things as simple and small and as, as a result seemingly insignificant as wearing a mask. Now, I don't know about you, but I miss being able to be around my friends in person. Being able to hug or shake hands or speak clearly without a screen or a mask in the way. Our church in D.C. won't be gathering in person at least until the fall, and I already miss being able to worship together in person and to sing songs together in person, to take communion together in person. It's a time and a season where uh, we're carrying more than we would like and, and we have been for longer than we would like. But what's also weighing on us in this season is the continuing work for justice, right? Including for racial equity, for an end to the disproportionate use of force by police against brown and black bodies, for dismantling of the white supremacist systems and structures and policies and attitudes. This is part of what we seek when we pray for God's kingdom to come, a better alternative. Because we believe that every person is made in the image of God. And that when someone is not treated as the divine image bearer that they are, an injustice has occurred. And that is not what God's kingdom looks like. A lot of folks I know are tired, worn out, exhausted, beyond capacity. Because of all the things we're trying to navigate right now, the news, the kids, the work anxiety, the physical isolation, the financial uncertainty, the racism... It can be a challenge to remember that we are always in the presence of God and His kingdom. Because we are. We are never without God. We are never not in God's presence. To paraphrase St. Augustine, a 4th century North African bishop and church leader, God is closer to us than the air we breathe. But actually, that was a challenge for me to remember even before COVID hit us, even for me as a pastor, with all of the distractions, with all of the demands, with all of the devices clamoring for our time and attention. What I want to share with you today are what I call daily bookends, daily bookends, practices at the beginning and the end of the day that anchor me in the presence of God and God's kingdom so that I can be about that work. But more importantly, so that I can be present to God. So that I can be aware of God's Spirit with me and in me and around me. Because that's ultimately what will keep all of our efforts, even our best efforts, from being about us. That's what will keep us from burning out. That's what will make our work in the Marathon for Justice sustainable. Because it is a marathon, not a sprint. Basically, and it is very basic, I try to set aside time right at the beginning of the day when I wake up and right at the end of the day before I go to sleep for God. That's it. 
Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's 15 minutes. Sometimes it's a half an hour. Now, I know that y'all heard about practicing silence and confession already, and sometimes I do those things, and sometimes I do something else. Uh, essentially, it's my way of bookending my conscious hours with intentional quality time with God as part of building an overall lifestyle and pattern of living in which I'm seeking to always be present to God. To pray without ceasing, the Apostle Paul put it. Here's what German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, For Christians, the beginning of the day should not be burdened and oppressed with besetting concerns for the day's work. At the threshold of the new day stands the Lord who made it. All the darkness and distraction of the dreams of night retreat before the clear light of Jesus Christ and His wakening work. All unrest, all impurity, all care and anxiety flee before Him. Therefore, at the beginning of the day, let all distraction and empty talk be silenced, and let the first thought and the first word belong to Him to whom our whole life belongs. The first thought, and the first word, the first breath, and the first listening. So my goal is not to check my phone before I've checked in with God. Because once that portal opens, to news, to social media, to work emails, you can't close it back up. A friend of mine calls this the, uh, the first battle of the day. And it is a battle, it, it, the itch to see, you know, who's texted or to see if that, that little red bubble is popping up with a notification or to see what happened while you were sleeping. But what would it look like for the first thought and the first word to belong to him to whom our whole life belongs? Let me get real practical so you know what I do or what I try to do. Uh, you can figure out what this time looks like for yourself, but I've often found it helpful to have some ideas about how others have done it. Japanese-American artist Mako Fujimura was once asked how to interpret his paintings. And he said that in order to understand something, you have to stand under it. In order to understand something, you have to stand under it. You have to allow it to speak to you. And that takes time. He said it usually takes at least 10 minutes of sitting and quieting our hearts and beholding the work before our eyes start to see and our brain stops trying to categorize. The same is true in those moments when we try to be more intentionally present to and aware of God. I mean, have you ever tried to pray and meditate quietly and your mind just goes to all of the things that suddenly seemed more important than they were 30 seconds ago? How might we calm the monkey from chattering away in our minds? How do we focus our attention so that we might bring more of, more of it, maybe even all of it, to God? This is what I try to do in case it's helpful for you. I try to start with a few minutes of just sitting still and centering, of quieting my heart, settling in a spot, of reminding myself that I am that I always am and am in that particular moment with the God who loves me just as I am. I'll become aware of my breath and I'll remind myself that, as we said, God is nearer to me than that very breath. 
Sometimes I'll start with a mantra that another mentor shared with me, a phrase I can repeat to help me focus. I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And I'll say it, and I'll pray it over and over to settle myself, to ground myself in that truth. Or it could be a, a short prayer of gratitude. You know, Thank you, Lord, for this day. Let me be present to you in it. And then I might read from the Bible, reminding myself of the ways God has revealed God's self to humanity before, so I might remember how God may be revealing God's self today, reminding myself of who God is as revealed in Jesus so that I might be remember who I am called to be, like Jesus. Reminding myself of how the Spirit was at work so that I might remember how the Spirit might be at work now. And then I might spend some time interceding, lifting up prayers for myself or for others or for the world, or, or I might just listen to what God might be saying to me what God might be reminding me of or revealing to me. If you want uh, guides for morning prayer, uh, a couple resources that I lean on pretty regularly are Common Prayer, which is a contemporary adaptation by Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove and Enuma Okoro of the Book of Common Prayer, so Common Prayer, and then the, uh, the Pray As You Go app, which provides daily passages for reflection and prayer in the style of Lexio Divina. And actually, both are available as mobile apps, which is both super convenient and also quite tempting. But then in the evening, the second bookend, in the evening I try to stop using electronics, an hour before bedtime or so, so my brain can be done with the stimulation that the blue light of screens and the world of social media and the stress of work emails brings. I'm sure you know you can set most mobile devices on a do not disturb schedule. Some of this is physical, so my brain isn't still firing when I'm trying to go to sleep. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that our physical life doesn't impact our spiritual life. I mean, how many of us, when we're tired or hungry, are more attentive in prayer, or more patient with our neighbors, or more present to our feelings? We are embodied creatures, just as Jesus was. What we do with our bodies is how we express our spirituality. So every night before I go to bed, I'll, I'll read some. It might be a devotional, it might be a novel, it might be nonfiction. Sometimes my wife and I will talk about our day, things that lingered with us, whether positive or negative. And then right before I'm done for the day, before I turn out the light, I try to give the last thought and the last word to the one to whom my whole life belongs. Centuries ago, there was a man named Ignatius of Loyola. He was the founder of the Jesuit order of the Catholic Church. And he developed this prayer, uh, what people in recovery might describe as a fearless moral inventory. It's become known as the daily examine, E-X-A-M-E-N, the daily examine. And it rests on and it contributes to the kingdom realities that God is good and trustworthy, at work and knowable in the everyday. That God's Spirit speaks to us and we can hear from God. And that our lives and through us the world around us can be transformed as we become more aware of God. Now the steps of this examined prayer have been articulated many different ways over the years, but here's one way of breaking it down. Three steps. First, again, I take time to center down, to remind myself 
with all that has happened over the course of that day, good and bad, that God is still closer to me than the air I'm breathing, that nothing I have done in these moments of consciousness makes God love me any more or any less, that the work, the work is still not done, but that my worth is not defined by my work, that I do not have, I may not have the strength to do it all, and that's okay. Second, I'll reflect on the day. I'll look for those moments where I noticed God seeking to be at work in me and through me and around me and, and where I participated with the Spirit in that work of the kingdom. And where those moments happen, where I noticed those moments, I give thanks for those moments, for the grace or the wisdom or the courage that God gave me to do or say what was right and loving or in some cases to not do or say what was wrong or unhelpful. So I'll give thanks for those moments where I participated with God. And then third, and finally, I'll reflect on the day, and I'll look for those moments where I brushed past God's Spirit at work, or, or I, I ignored God's invitation to love and justice and righteousness, or where I resisted, where I chose to do that which I did not want to do, or do not want to do, and, or, or where I did not do that which I know is right. And I'll confess those moments. And I'll ask for God's grace to cover my sin and my failure and to grant me whatever I need to do right the next time, the next day, the next opportunity. St. Benedict, a 6th century Italian monk, once said, Always we begin again. Always we begin again. In these ways, with these daily bookends, morning and evening, I try to stay centered in my love of God and my love of neighbor. And a healthy love of myself. Because, well, if we don't have that, then how will we love our neighbors who we are to love as we love ourselves? But more importantly, in these ways, I try to stay centered in God's love for me. God's love for those around me and God's love for the world we are likewise called to love. In these ways, I try to live in and live out the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of the ever-present Spirit of God within me, within you, within us all. This is my bread for the journey. This is my strength for the fight. This is our sustenance and our salvation and the source of all of the redemption and transformation God longs to bring. The very life-giving presence of God and nothing less. I want to close with a prayer from Howard Thurman, who was a minister and a theologian, a contemplative and an activist and a spiritual mentor to many, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, it changed my life, and so I'd, I'd recommend you checking that out. But, but this is from another book. This prayer is from a book called Meditations of the Heart. And it goes like this. In the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence of God, my heart whispers, keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve, that in fair weather or foul, in good times or in tempests, in the days when the darkness and fog are nameless or familiar, I may not forget that to which my life is committed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends.
Thanks for letting me be with you.